Welcome to the Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 7, Episode 11, titled Time and Life. Yep. What do you think of this episode? Uh, it's <laughs> relentlessly entertaining. That's exactly how I feel. I watched it three times and I enjoyed the exact same beats, the exact same times. Uh, it's, it's great. It's fan service. And I feel like we're on a... An interesting trajectory for the final few episodes. Yeah, it's fan service in the best way possible. The the way that depends on your connection with the characters. Yeah. You know, the the history they've built. A lot of uh, callbacks, too. So many of them, and they're they're so perfect. Sure. Uh, they, I was just laughing through most of this episode. Uh, who made this thing? Well, ironically, it was the directorial debut of one Jared Harris. Oh, I've heard Who of we know better as Lane Price. Mm-hmm. He got to direct the Pete Punch after punching yeah. Pete himself. Uh-huh. And I got to th- think that that wasn't an accident. I, I like to think so, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it is a kind of Pete-heavy episode, honestly. It was, and I was appreciative of that. As much as I love to hate on Pete, I love to watch Pete. Sure, yeah. And I like I said on, I think, the forums, I was like, what is this strange feeling I'm feeling? Am I, am I rooting for Pete? What in some sick ways? I it's think like, you are. Yeah, I'm like a dog with peanut butter in its mouth. Like, <laughs> I, what is this sensation? Yeah, uh, it was written by a combination of Matthew Weiner and Aaron Levy. Uh, Aaron, uh, the female version, E. Rin version, has written nine episodes of Mad Men in her past. It's her sole writing credit, including stands standouts such as uh, season four, the Chrysanthemum and the Sword. Oh yeah, the Sword. That was the that's Japanese the, coup. That's the one where uh, Don outfoxed uh, G. GCG, CGC, whatever they were Teddy called. Teddy yeah. Chagagagao's old firm uh-huh. uh, by having him breach the contract. And also your favorite episode of last half, The Monolith. I like that one, yeah. So she knows what she's got. She knows what she's doing. And cool. definitely The Winder does too. Yeah, good follow-up here to those. So. Yes. Uh, why don't we get into the recap? Let's do it. We start off with Ken in a restaurant giving Pete just a hell of a time. The business. over <laughs> He's giving him the business over business. Uh-huh. Uh, the details of this Dow campaign, a couple of them. You know, he's got the, the Ziploc campaign and all, all this stuff. And he's saying, you know, I'm not really thrilled with the way you went on this campaign. Bathroom cleaner? I think a poop. Yeah. I, Ken says shit, right? Uh, I don't know. And Pete tones it down. Pete's like, poop. Oh, does he say shit? I think Ken says shit. Okay. Anyway, poop. Sure, poo. All right. <laughs> poo is being being mentioned. Yeah. Um. And then Don shows up, and suddenly Ken has no problem whatsoever with the campaign. Yeah. He's immediately talked into it by Don just, just says, to spite okay. Pete. Yeah. He's also ordering the Chateau Margot 53, which I did some research okay. on. That's still, I guess, a viable bottle of wine. 60 years later, 60 huh? years later, they're saying that it might be slightly past its prime, but everybody is still... Singing its praises, it's getting 94, 95 out of hundreds on wine lists. When I'm 60, I will be more than slightly past my prime. <laughs> so <laughs> good on you, wine. It's going for anywhere between 800 and $4,000 a bottle. Uh, I found Damn. it on auction sites on the internet. So still, a, I, I guess, a highly sought out gold standard wine. 
All right. We'll have one I in the studio never... next week. <laughs> we just need a few, never more, taste. a few more club members to sign up. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, then we go to Don checking his messages at home, and he has a couple from Diana Bauer, but she didn't leave any real messages. She said, hey, don't give him these messages, and she didn't leave any contact info. Yeah, I'm... Who is the messaging firm working for, Don or Diana? Because like Good the question. messenger girl felt like it was her job to throw these out. If I was Don, I'd want to know someone that called and then said they didn't want me to know they called. Yeah. Like, caller ID, star 69, Diane. Don't leave your name if you – I don't know. I wasn't thrilled with her coming back to the show, honestly. I'm not either, and I'm glad she didn't really show up in I, this she's episode. Gonna. She's gonna. Uh, you think? There's no – yeah, she's gonna man. Just, Don's just, just gonna chase her down. Buckle up. I don't. Know, I'm not right, even we'll sure see. if he'll chase her down, but I. I bet. I bet that she makes an appearance. All right. Uh, the other thing I like about this scene is Don. I don't know. Graciously decides to take his own calls that evening. <laughs> well, like I he, think... he he at this point can't be bothered to take his own calls. Uh, we we knew that before, but I didn't know really the extent of it. Oh no, my friend! And then when he hears that Diana yeah. is calling up, he's like, "Oh, I'm 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 going to take. I want to take my calls because I don't yeah. want to get uh, get skittish again." Yeah, yeah, sure. If she drunk dials me. I, I wanted to go to me and not Angela or whatever her name is. Yeah, but it sounds like it's not a regular occurrence that he takes calls. Probably not. I wouldn't take it. God, if I had someone to answer my phone and my email and my mail mail mail, I wish I was a Roger or a Don yeah, because a, that's my chief annoyance in life. Having to go through the various correspondence and human contact. He's a VIP, though. I mean, he needs to be in contact. with. What if Roger calls with an important message about the company? What if Then the calling company will call Don and tell him it's a legit... But he's not answering his calls. Who Who is the call company would, going would, to call? I would probably take your phone. I'd give you my real phone number. Like, you know, the people I actually care about. Right. But I'm saying, okay. like, for the schmo, for the, you know, the Joe Schmoes, the... the, the the doctor's offices and the bill collectors and the and whores, the, yeah, and the the whores, yeah. You need you need somebody to kind of manage that. Okay, you need but it's like everyone should have their own butler. But then, what do you do? Divide the society into butlers and non butlers. I think have you'd to have 50 to fifty yeah. ratio. That doesn't seem like it's a workable civilization. Not at all. <laughs> no. Where do we? How do we get here? And how do we get out, Jim? We go to the next scene. Thank you. Roger finds out that the lease on the SCMP office hasn't been paid, and he calls Joan in and says, "You need to fire Don for this." Uh, he 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 hollered. I think is what you'd say for he Joan. Did. Joan didn't like that much either. Don't do that. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a lot. It of It does that seem going disrespectful. On. It is, and yeah. that's Roger's. Like, just really, really, you're like a teenage boy that's looking for, you know, if, if want to know if you're out of cereal, you just holler for mom, <laughs> mom. <laughs> Someone in pair lease. Like, come on, Roger. Yeah. I get that you're the whole Peter Pan, the the poor Eternus, but come on now. Yep. Uh, Don rides up the elevator with um, the, to, toward his office with several women and their children. We don't really know what this is about. I thought maybe at first it was, oh, bring your, bring your children to work day, you know? Uh, yeah. But apparently it's an audition. We find out later. And J- Don is clearly charmed by all the, the children. Seems like it. Uh, Trudy calls Pete to say that their daughter didn't get into the school that they wanted and that she set up a meeting with the headmaster the next day that she would like him to be at. The and first of many great Pete scenes. It is. I, I especially like the sour look on his face when he hears it's Trudy. He's like, yeah. oh, okay. well, it's, it's, it's the ex-wife call. And it's, it's surprising and it's not yeah. necessarily desired. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, someone just walked on my grave. 
Uh, yeah. I also the the line Greenwich, Connecticut is built on divorce money. I oh man, I don't know what Vincent Carthizer does next, but yeah. I man the way he can just throw out these aggrieved grandiose pronouncements mm-hmm. is a gift, and I hope he finds another way to express it because it's pretty amazing. Hmm. Game show host, I think he should be a game show host. The other thing is it, it's it's possible, <laughs> entirely possible, that – because I've heard some get interviews. I remember uh, listening to a season one interview uh, with him and Terry Gross before I'd even actually seen the show. And I remember sitting up thinking, man, this guy's really got – he's on the ball. And he's also got like a – you know, then I've read more where he's kind of a weird freaking type, you know, doesn't have electricity at his house, shit's in a box, kind of, you know, that one yeah. of those types. He's an interesting dude. And I almost wonder like – I wonder if he's just a really good actor that like, you know, we're talking I like, mean, I think like, he like he's good in this one spectrum, but I bet he's got a whole other spectrum that we, we don't see. And I wonder if we ever will, because my God, this is an indelible role. It is. It's going to be hard to wipe the Campbell off of Vincent. And that's not a great thing to be typecast. On. No, you don't no. Be... unless you want that haircut for the rest of your life. You don't want to be Pete casted in anything. No, <laughs> no. and his comb over, it's epic. He needs that part moved up about an inch, inch and a half on his head, man. It's perfect. You can tell, like, I, I don't know if he actually shaves underneath this comb over or uh, if it's just like his his actual hairline sure. is shaped like that. But you can tell that his hairline is going under that, that comb oh, over. Oh, yeah. It's the crest of a wave, And that's man. why he parts it so low because he's got to get real hair over that thing. But that's what I'm saying. It feels like an actual comb over. Work with the part that god gave you man or just but if the part if the part god gives you just opens up and there's no hair there you got to go lower man you got to dig deeper yeah no find that hair i as a man as a man uh suffering balding myself i i sympathize and sure and uh that's the thing about the comb over man once you go down that road it's like when do you stop when do you you finally admit defeat at some point, it stops working. Are you like the Homer Simpson, where you just have desperately have those three? Like, I got three strands of hair on my scalp. I'm not bald. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just say take it off, take it all off. Mm. Uh, Roger is ready to fire Shirley, uh, and and Don and the other secretary. What is her name? Uh, it's Don. The Shirley. older secretary. Oh God, I don't know. She's the less interesting one. I yeah, I don't know. He's ready to fire all three of them. But Jones says, hey, hey, wait a second. It was someone at McCann who signed the paperwork for this and didn't pay the lease. And then Joan tells him not tells, – tells the secretaries not to say anything about this to anyone else, which as the episode progresses, we know is a farce. Poor Don is in tears over this. Is yeah. Roger a sociopath? No, Roger's a man of action. He's very angry, and he's misguided. But he goes from joking with Kirby and hanging up to instantly, you're fired. He does, you're right. And and like I said, Don's sitting there blubbering. It's, it's, man, that guy. Yeah, I I don't know. (laughs) He has very little patience for this shit. Uh, And and once he realizes, you know, he he snaps the other direction once he realizes, oh, okay, this is is a mistake. Mm. He goes... All right, fine. You're not fired, but let's find out what's going on here. I don't think he, that's exactly snapping to the X direct. Well, I guess I, I don't know. He, he does the the shift felt just as abrupt in yeah, the other okay. direction to me. Fair enough. I think there's a little bit maybe of an apology that was owed, but I think so. Yeah, you might be right. Anyway, um, the kids are here for an audition in the office, but 
Peggy's having a tough time getting them to play with the toys that she gives them. So Stan steps in to help, and he is much better with kids than Peggy will ever be, I think. Although I would be interested in seeing what kind of Hunger Games scenario that he, she would set up if left to her own devices. Yeah, this, you know, struggle for the singular toy. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a bad idea on the face of it. And I also wonder if Stan, you know, long term is as good with kids as as we perceive him to be in this scene, right? It's one thing to have a kid throw a ball in a very controlled yeah, no. scenario. It's another thing to have to deal with them day in and day out. It's one thing to be a buddy yeah. and, you know, joke and, and laugh and and be uninhibited and all that stuff. It's another thing, like you said, to, you know, when they're throwing up and when they're being little shits and all yeah, that. Yeah, you got to discipline them, those that's punches, tough. Yeah. Being a father is very different than being the guy in a room encouraging him to play with toys. And how? Um... I don't know. Peggy doesn't look happy that Stan's angle worked here. She she seems bothered even early on in, sure. with with Stan's ability to connect with these kids. Her her past is just simmering beneath the surface this entire episode. It is. And it comes to fruition later, but we'll get there. Uh, Roger calls Ferg about the, the lease situation, and Ferg tells him that they're moving SC&P into McCann's office. Bringing you home, baby. Yeah. He, tr- he tries to spend it a little positively. Uh, so they decide they, they want to set up a meeting with Jim Hobart for tomorrow for, for the next day when Pete also has his meeting. So a little conflict. I there. thought that, yeah, that was going to be a bigger deal than it was. And it turned out yeah. pretty much not. Uh, what do you think of Jones, uh, hug of support for Roger there? Where she puts her head on his shoulders. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I don't know. Their, their relationship seems to have changed a little bit since, you know, they were, there was a lot of animosity between them a couple of seasons ago. Sure. And that seemed to have simmered down. And I can't tell exactly where their relationship is now. It it seems like they have a common thing to commiserate over here. And that warrants the, the hug. But I I don't know outside of this how they, how they feel. I wouldn't thought much of it except for Roger later in the episode is kvetching about not having a legacy and no one to carry on the name and not even an office now. And mm-hmm. we know, in fact, he does have a son, Kevin. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about like what we think of Richard and all that. Uh, so like, I didn't think it would meant anything except for then you combine that with his being wistful about his legacy. And you think about what that would, you know, and him and Joan kind of being chummy or being, you know, relating to each other. I wonder if they're going to have one last spark before we go. I don't know. I mean, Roger's thing in this episode seems to be his name. Right. I mean, cause he's got a daughter, like a legitimate no shit daughter. Yeah. Uh, but she doesn't have his name. You know, she got married. Uh, he was talking about being the only son of an only son. You think Joan will let him, uh, legitimize the bastard. Give him his name. Yeah. Hi. With a stroke of a pen. I I doubt it. Hmm. I doubt it. I feel like that is much more Joan's kid than it is Roger's kid. Yeah, you know what? I think if he brings it up to Joan, she'd just be like, absolutely not either. Yeah. That would sour things. Oh, she hasn't been too hot on having a kid lately. Maybe she'd be like, yeah, take this, take this thing off my hands. Get it it out of here. I don't want to say it's taking. Anyway. (laughs) She's going to have a discussion with Peggy. It's all going to go south. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Anyway, Roger goes to tell Don about the news and Joan drags the rest of the partners in there because, you know, you're not just going to tell him, like she says. Um, they find out as well. And Roger tells everyone, keep it in this room. 
keep it in this room, which just, you know, second second time someone says that, yep. second time it leaves the room. <laughs> yep. It just doesn't happen. And I, I find that comical. The more times they did that, and then, you know, Peggy gets involved. And it's Stan the, it's everything. Out. So I've been through a corporate merger, and uh-huh. everything about this played out very realistically from my experience. All right. The, the whole, yeah, I have been too. You know, because everybody in the room has got their lieutenants or thing people they think they, out of a sense of obligation or loyalty or whatever, have to give a little. And then they have their, and then they have, and it just goes around like the only people that don't know what's going down by the time the official announcement are the biggest idiots. Harry or Crane. Harry Crane, by the end of this, doesn't fucking know, man. Really? I don't think he knew. I don't think anybody bothered to tell Harry Crane. I don't Crane. know. He had that big shit-eating grin in the me- early on in the meeting, and there's also that yelling really? and screaming. What was all that yelling? Was that Or is that just Harry Crane conducting business? In front of a child screaming, you're an asshole. Yeah. Sure. I thought that was just a moment of comedy. Okay, good. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that he knew anything there. All right, Or was great. talking to someone specific. Um, I, there's, there's a couple of glorious moments from Pete where he calls... Uh, Ted a sheep mm-hmm. he's like I like it over here because you're a sheep and Ted doesn't you know this this isn't a uh, Lane Price that's going to challenge him to fisticuffs Ted's like eh, eh. yeah Ted's quieter and gentler yeah than Lane Price w- which would be tough to say uh, unless you punched him out and I don't know there's and Don uh, seems kind of amused I and I'm not sure exactly what his expression was supposed to tell us like when he finds out from Roger, he's just got this, I'm not even going to say it's a rueful smile. It's more just like, I guess maybe what Ted looked like when he realized Don had outmaneuvered him. Like I, <laughs> you know, you got, you thought you were doing this Roger and it's the other thing. Yeah. I, good game. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no real play well played, to be had sir. at this point. Although it turns yeah. out there was, well, that's the thing. Also, we find out what, you know, what the fate of Cutler is. In yeah. this scene, Cutler took the money and ran. I mean, we kind of assumed that, but it's yeah. nice to get the confirmation, sure. There's a concrete thing there. Uh, the other thing is, that there's a line in here that says, uh, they waited so long, we thought we were safe. And it's Don talking about, you know, this this uh, moving offices and just lulling them into a false sense of safety here. The thing I don't get is, I don't understand what all this soft shoe was about. Like, if you intended to merge them, as soon as the ink was dry, you merge them. Like... They have no say, yeah. And I mean, they've got a con- they've got ironclad contracts. I don't think either one of them. What is? That's an interesting thing for him to say, but I really don't understand what the calculus was. It's almost like maybe McCann. It's it's not about them. It's just like McCann needed to do some. They're a big behemoth, and they need to do some internal. You know, it's like if Chevy decides to buy Ford. That's some or huge Comcast decides to buy Time Warner. It's not as yeah. easy as just. Like, even if you decide it, it could just take a year. I, I feel like that there yeah. is a little bit of this that we're supposed to understand that everything is about them, mm-hmm. but it's just an o- almost an oversight when it comes to McCann Erickson. Yeah, I also... The rounding error. I mean, maybe they, they just don't want to piss these guys off so much that they won't come to McCann and they'll all quit. Like, I know they have contracts, and I know they're not getting all their money up front, but Jones said something about... um you know, don't you want the rest of your money? So yeah, it implies that they got some money. This also doesn't make sense from a because they're giving away a quarter million dollars in profit. Mm-hmm. Surely that has to pay for the time life rent for a year. I would imagine so. So it's like, why exactly are they making this move? Um, what is it? 
Is it the fact that they're tired of SC or uh, SP or wait SC and Associates? Is that what it is? SCP, I think it's SC SC and partners. partners. Yeah. Is it is it that they're tired of their best talent working on the B team and they want to bring they want Don Draper unleashed on Coca Cola and Buick and all that? Maybe it's Could just be. a uh, deployment of assets type of situation. Yeah, I wonder if it has anything to do with the name stuff that Roger's so concerned about. I mean, I I don't know if the actual McCann or Erickson are around. Are they are they still part of this company or is it founded so long ago? I don't ago know, that it's Ferg and if Hobart, yeah. Hobart, yeah, so I don't I, know that they're actually their names are on it, but uh I I wonder cuz Roger's putting up such a fuss about the name. I wonder if that plays into it at all. Well, Ferg is that he is McCann, right? Is that's he Ferg whole, McCann? Fergus McCann? It, I mean, that's the whole Irish thing, right? Okay. Could be, yeah. So I wonder if that's part of it. Um, it might be. Okay. The the other thing, though, about that line is I, I wonder if this is, you know, the wiener trying to say, hey, Don's past is going to, in some way, come back to haunt him. We have waited so long to show you the things that are actually going to be a problem for Don that uh-huh. he thinks he's safe. I don't know. I don't know. That's where I, my I, head Again, went. it still feels like it's it's hard for me to... Um, oh, actually, it's Ferguson Donnelly. So no, that's oh, not. Okay. He is not a McCann. Huh. Um, yeah, I, I don't know because again, it's hard for me not to view this from the lens of how self-absorbed the partners of SC and PR. Yeah. So it's like I don't know how much to give credence to any of Don's like you know wondering about strategy and all that. Yeah, there. I'll save it for later. Okay. There's plenty to talk about on that. Uh, Pete calls Peggy into his office, and he tells her the news. Um. This is where I really noticed Pete's hair. My God, man. Mm-hmm. Pete's hair. Uh, again, again, he tells Peggy the news. And he says, for your ears only. Mm-hmm. Of course it makes it out of this room. I just I think that's funny. Yeah. Um, there's a couple things that Peggy gets this uncomfortable hug from a little girl. Yeah. And then sitting on this couch. I mean, this you, you cannot see this scene without thinking about all the other interactions they've had in offices like this and their whole relationship arc and, you know, how they view their relationship and what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was watching this thinking of the burger chef scene, mm. honestly. So I was thinking about their second tryst. Okay. And I don't know. Like, like I said, I don't know what to think about these two. I don't know what to think, what they think their relationship was. I was kind of on the edge of my seat slightly to see if Pete was going to make a move on her because that seems like a Pete thing to do. And I don't yeah. know. I honestly know what the hell she would do in her mental state in this episode. I, but I, I don't know. I yeah. Mean, Pete seemed to be really disheartened by this. And, and it, it was born out in his acting. It was born out in the, the way he approached Peggy. And like I, I said, he's never, that's an interesting statement. He's never worked anywhere else. Yeah. So we've seen his entire professional career, which is kind of, cool and interesting as well indeed one thing we didn't talk about is our our time frame here uh we think no we know we're less than a month away from the last episode because don still is hunting for apartments Mm -hmm. and uh meredith says you're about to lose one you're about to lose your apartment and your your office in the space of a month so we're still sometime in the end of june or early july i would i'd kind of say still in june because nobody's talked about the fourth of july Okay. And if we were much past that, then I don't know. But yeah, we're we're less than a month away from the last episode. 
Joan calls Richard for a shoulder to cry on, and he says he's going to be in New York the next day. He books a flight right there on the phone. Boom. I thought he was retired. He still has an office with the girl, though. What's he doing? What's he up to, man? Got to have someone organizing the bill collectors and hoes, as he said. Yeah, I think Joan was a little excited to hear that that this plan for California when uh, she realized, hey, I might move out there and he doesn't have to... Same thing with Don. ...buy property in a shitty area in New York. Yep, same thing with Don. There's a lot uh-huh. of interesting things like him him and Teddy's talk they had later on about, you know, Ted acknowledging that hey, sorry for ruining your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um that for no good reason at the when it comes out yeah. said and done. Indeed. Uh then Don tells Meredith to cancel all his meetings and Lou calls up, says he got to deal with Tatsunoko. They're going to make scouts on her into a cartoon. Mhm. And he's just such a shit. Man. And the tiki bar front and center of the <laughs> office was just great. It's just great. It's too little too late. Like Lou's trying to stick it to Don here. Yeah. He doesn't care. He could care less about what Lou's doing. He pulled Fuck a gun on Lou. Don and no one told him it wasn't loaded. <laughs> it's amazing. And he's just click, 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 click. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Don just hangs up whatever, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. And uh, the other, going into the next scene, he says, Lou's moving to Tokyo. I'm not telling you why, as it would give him pleasure. Yeah. And nobody's like, what? I mean, the other partners uh-huh. are like, okay. <laughs> yeah, we don't care about Lou either. Lou's an asshole. Uh, yeah, so this is during the meeting with the partners. They, yep. Don, he pulls it together. He says, we should get together all of our clients with conflicts and suggest this radical idea of Sterling Cooper West. Ugh. Why do you roll your eyes? At this point, this episode is as entertaining as it was. I was like, "Really, really? This is the third time we're deploying the stratagem." Like, I, I kind of felt. I mean, I had mixed emotions because, okay. arguably, the best parts of Mad Men is when they are scrambling around, yeah. ass on fire, head catching, trying to figure out how to save their business. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, it's been my personal favorite, but I'm like, with three episodes to go. I was slightly annoyed that we're that the end game was going to be yet another caper. I was expecting more. Okay, and pleasant, and then I got it. So no harm, no foul. I was just when they started mounting up for this again, and and there's the show was kind of nodding towards that, like mm-hmm. we've done it before. Yeah, uh, do the old nighter, comb through the accounts, get Pete to get the X lax back, all that. You know, sure. I I don't know. I there hasn't been a ton of that in in this season so far so i was kind of happy to see it okay i i definitely wouldn't want it if to have like stretched four episodes I mean, just or whatever Don and, and pete and joan and roger in a 1400 square foot apart it's just mm-hmm. eh, i what i'm i'm again glad to see it unfolded differently okay it still would have been a hell of an episode even if they had gone that way but uh, i'm glad to see that the wiener has something more in mind yeah um, so they they all set off to secure these clients. Oh, by the way, before their meeting in uh, twenty four hours, when they're debating the Dow Chemical thing, where yeah. Roger's saying they're, they're talking about why Ken would go, he goes, "Well, he loves feeling the tip of your nose in, in your pant in his pants." Mm-hmm. Pete's face, like he's like, "Okay, yeah, you're right." Fair point. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I will take some abuse if it means I not being absorbed. I can suck that man's cock as long as it needs to be sucked, <laughs> as long as we get that sweet, sweet Dow Chemical money. Yep. Uh. I don't know. I, and also... We talked about Joan already. She looks happy about this, but... Uh, actually, no, she does not. 
Joan is this is the beginning of her seeds of discontent that she is being shut oh, out. Oh yeah, yeah, cuz they mentioned the Avon needs to stay with McCann because here. it's that's not right. a conflict and that's yeah. her So she would be stuck in New York when they her, go. That's her that's her crown jewel, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like and she's kind of aiding and abetting this other people's dreams, I guess. Yeah. Peggy then meets with a career builder in her apartment who tells her the best option is to go to McCann and she is not happy about that whatsoever. She desperately wants to get out of there. Um, but I don't know. I buy the guy's argument. Sounds yeah. about right. If, if in fact the salary and numbers add up the way that they do. Yeah, sure. And knowing what we know about McCann Erickson, that they're a home of the first female creative director and the first mm-hmm. ad advertising executive, it feels like that they are kind of painting her into that corner. And maybe it's not a I bad so. thing. Because why? I don't understand why she's so resistant about going to McCann Erickson. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I, that, I know why the other people are. I don't know why she is. Yeah, because it seems like this is the next big opportunity. And as her career counselor saying, this is going to be good for you. And you're going to make a lot more money. And you're going to come out of this. Like, spend three years there, and you'll come out of something this bigger and stronger with much more experience. And is it personal loyalty to Don? Well, I almost wonder if Don and hers talk last episode didn't have more of an effect. Like, her aspirational talk. Like, oh, I want to get a bigger client. I want to do all these things. Don was like, is that it? It's all you want to do? I wonder if she hasn't been thinking about that. But then how does SC&P fit in with that? Uh, I don't know. I'm she, just saying she I has was, the run of the place there. I was a little hazy about why she is wanting because she doesn't have any skin. She's not a partner. She's anything like that. I, mm-hmm. I just wondering. And then she seemed kind of resigned at the end. Is like, well, you know, I'll bring Stan with me, and it won't be so bad. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll find out more about Peggy as we go on here. Uh, Roger and Pete call in Ken to tell him what's happening and pitch him on bringing Dow into. Uh, SC West, I guess we'll call it. And he flat out says no Mm -hmm. in so many words. Mm -hmm. He's toyed with him long enough. Is it just me or should they have sent Don to this meeting? I don't know that it would have made a difference, but Roger and Pete going to the two guys he wants to torture the most. Yeah. Going to Ken and asking for a massive favor. Yeah. Yeah. I no, think Don not, should have been there. You're not wrong. And I think Don felt he should have been there. But on the other hand, he trusted, you know, their instincts that it's, it's already too late. And what Ken said makes a lot of sense. Like, look, I get it. You guys think I'm this big swinging dick because that's how I act around you guys because yeah. this is my own private joke. But, <laughs> you know, going with McCann, that's what I think corporate, like, hey, yes, let's get all consolidated into one ad agency. Mm-hmm. This is not seen as a bold move. It'd be seen as a bold move to jump to this other company. So, yeah, it all makes sense. And uh, good send off for Ken. I, I feel like this is the last we will see of him. Okay. And I wish, I mean, I, I, I'm still sad for him because I think he would have been better off just going and being a writer. And now it seems mm-hmm. like he went on this just for revenge and now he's no longer going to be able to do that. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe we can just make up headcanon that he just, he quits and then becomes a writer after this. But that'd be nice. You know, less than two months after he makes his jump just to stick it to Ken and Pete, he's, or Roger and Pete, they take his toys away from him. So, yeah, I, I almost feel like I wish this would have happened in season six 
mm. and we could have got another season of him torturing these guys yeah. a little bit. Because it was watching and watching Pete have to take it was pretty pretty delicious. It is every time, and yeah. he dishes it out multiple times. But he only really got two episodes. You know, he got the one where he says, "This is what I'm going to do to you guys," and then the one where he does it once or twice. Yeah. And then he's he's done. But no, he walked out that door and didn't even look back. And I feel like yeah. that's that's a good exit for Ken. Well, they call him a pirate. <laughs> or, or no, not a pirate, a spy. A spy. Yeah, saying they look like a spy. He does look like a spy. Uh, a lot of funny stuff in this scene, too. But, you know, we could laugh about it to ourselves later. Um, Don and Ted talk about his move to California and uh, th- this latest scheme that they've got going. And Ted has gotten together with someone he knew in college and doesn't want to move to California. She's gorgeous and a little bit deep. I couldn't help but think that this reminded me of, you know, him describing Dr. Faye Miller. Okay. And, you know, Ted was is essentially in Don's position that season. And instead of rolling with the secretary or marrying someone like Peggy and underling, he did a more mature, wise thing, and ultimately, maybe he'll have better... He seems more happy and grounded than any of these people do. I think so, yeah. I, do you think I'm wrong in making that comparison? No, I don't think you're wrong. Do you, do you think that Don understands why it never happened between him and Faye? Unlike Ted and this woman who don't. Nah, I mean, I don't know. Like, Ted says, I couldn't think of why it didn't work out. Does... Does Don know why it doesn't work out for him? I don't know that Don even so many holds times. a torch for Faye, for Dr. Faye. No, 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 but not. I'm not even talking specifically about Faye at this point. Uh-huh. I'm talking about what's going on in Don's head. Does Don realize the mistakes he's made in the past? Yeah, maybe. Like, I, I felt like but last episode we were starting to get there. That's the one, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one dodgy thing about, because I, I don't buy anyone saying I don't remember why it didn't work out. Really? <laughs> really? Okay. I can see you talking in talking yourself into a new reality where the issues yes. that used to exist don't but like think of any ex lover you've had mm. and I could tell you right away like no I was an asshole there or I fucked up or no way I'm ever getting back <laughs> or well if ex I it's like maybe he's a little bit delusional in his own way. Could be. Like it's an Could old be. flame and he's just gonna rekindle that thought and it's gonna blow up in his face and he's gonna be crashing his plane sometime. Maybe I don't know. so. Hope not. He seems like a nice guy, that Teddy Chaga-ga-ga-ga. Then Joan walks in and she says, Dow's out. And Don suggests, well, let's try to cobble together a couple million from smaller clients. Now, I was under the impression that Dow was one of their biggest clients. Sure. And I don't know that a couple million would replace them. What were they shooting for in in getting Dow? Like, I think that they have a target number that is both would pay for their room and board and be enticing enough to McCann Erickson that they literally can't walk away from it. Yeah. Like, we've got a million dollars in profit. Like, at what point does Ferg and uh, the what's the other guy's name you said? Jim? Yeah, Hobart. Hobart. Yeah. At what point did they say, you're right, okay, fine, we don't want you in here. But I, I, it seems like there was no number they could have rolled in there with and prevailed because they didn't even get to that part. Like, they, they were shutting them down, yeah, and Don's before. like, well, what about the money? No, it doesn't matter. Like, they didn't care, and I I don't understand why. I don't know what the strategy was, but they clearly have a plan for better utilization of the SCNP folks. They do. I wonder if it's something nefarious or if they actually think that they're making a big, a smart business move here. It seems benevolent, but then also all the meetings last year seemed very benevolent as well. 
Sure. So there you go. <laughs> uh, Pete and Trudy meet with the headmaster, who right off the bat really just dislikes. Would you say both that? You th- do you think their kimonos are fully open? Uh sure. Yeah. <laughs> why not? Um. Yeah, so he doesn't like him right off the bat. The guy starts ranting about some clan feud 300 years ago. Uh Uh-huh. And Pete hauls off and punches him in the face. The king ordered it! (laughs) It's 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 great. brilliant. This scene is amazing. Mm -hmm. The way it just escalates out of nowhere. Sure. What is this guy on about? And then Pete seems to know. Yeah, no. I had no fucking idea, but Pete knows exactly what he means. Yeah. Uh, what does he mean? What is he talking about? He's here? talking about uh, the the research that I did is he's talking about the massacre of Glencoe or maybe it's Glencoa, uh, which happened in February of 1692, and it took place where the McDonalds were took advantage of Campbell House hospitality and were murdered in their sleep in a a a, a dastardly turn because they weren't quick enough to bend the knee to the new king. Now, if you're a Game of Thrones fan and that sounds very familiar, then you are not wrong because apparently George Martin based uh, some events that rhyme with the word bed breading. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> shit, man. It's two seasons ago. If you're not caught up by now, then I don't know what to say. Game of Thrones is not a high enough priority in your life. But yeah, this was this was uh, the real life inspiration for the Red Wedding. Uh, and apparently – now, what I don't know – is if anyone gives a shit that lives in America 300 years later, that was a little weird to me. But, yeah. you know, like never trust a Campbell. Really? Really? I mean, it's a Hatfield-McCoy thing, right? Like if you're a kilt-wearing uh, Highlander Scott, like I don't know it's that important. Or is it? Maybe it is. I feel like it is. Maybe they're still man, burning bars there. down and, and kidnapping. Like it's a, it's a Hatfield-McCoy thing. Exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, Pete certainly wasn't feeling it. He he did not have that animosity, but this guy might be the one guy who's holding a a grudge. Yeah. Someone asked later. me if whether the uh, the guy's bow tie was the actual McDonald Tartan mm-hmm. pattern, and I looked it up, and no, it is not. So that would have been a cool touch, though. Okay. Uh, I I guess that draw man thing or that draw person thing is an actual real test that they did. Sure. Uh, I'd never heard of it before. I like Pete's suspicion about the mustache. Like, why is she drawing a man with a mustache? <laughs> that, I don't have a mustache. That's a good question. It was probably yeah. all the men that Trudy was having over. I don't she think was, she was having them she over, was, though. Well, she was dating several guys was in, in the interim, wasn't she? I don't know that that's true. At least one. Okay. At least she, one. We know yes, that. Yes. I don't think that that guy had a mustache, though. Yeah. But that's clearly, you know, something that Pete still feels very territorial about his ex-wife here. Yeah, yeah. I... I and I think it's a generalization. The mustache thing yeah. is, you know, a lot of people have grown mustaches over this season. Mm-hmm. The 70s are apparently a time for some mustachioed mm-hmm. men. I thought that they were specifically saying, and the look on Trudy's face means like, ooh, whoops, uh, maybe I've given my daughter the wrong impression. That's the thing about Trudy as played by Allison Brie is she's every bit at, can hold with with Pete. Like her... When he said, you should feel lucky that you can remarry and ditch that last name, her <gasps> is every bit the counterpart to Pete screaming the king ordered it. I love watching these guys together. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like a symphony. It's they're like... really perfect for each other. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Uh, I wonder how Trudy feels about Pete at the end of all this. That's up in the air. Let's, let's we, we will talk about yeah, it yeah, yeah. very soon. 
Uh, first, we're going to talk about Stan and Peggy finding a girl waiting alone in the office because sure. her mother just left her there. And we're going to talk about Harry in the background yelling like an asshole. The guy on the phone is not the asshole. You are the asshole, Harry. Sure. My God. Uh, that's a super short scene there. And then Pete and Trudy get back to her house. And they start talking about how Trudy has been receiving some unwanted advances from a lot of men in the neighborhood and Husbands. stuff like that. Husbands specifically and apparently headmasters across the nation. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> the line, Pete, you can't punch everyone, mm-hmm. is just a classic. They made the Mrs. Forrest Gump proposition to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then she also says in 10 years, everyone will leave me alone because, you know, that's... It must be a hell of a thing to be a beautiful woman and then you get old because... Especially like, in that era. Not just like that era. I'm saying eras. any era. I, I mean, if, yeah, if but... You, because that's like, uh, you know, we talked about the attractiveness privilege last episode, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've read articles where women are talking about that in their 40s and 50s. Like the last time a man flirted with me or the last time I re- I remember getting a glance or anything like that. And it, it, it must be scary to, to go through and to contemplate. But with sure. Trudy here... I it's kind of depressing, but I feel like she's her eyes are opening to like how men are just scumbags. Okay, and she's like, well, all these clearly the only thing keeping these men from uh, being unfaithful with me is the fact that I'm not sleeping with them. So maybe like yo, sure, Pete was unfaithful and he did all this and stuff, but he wouldn't do anything that any of these other dudes wouldn't do. And also, he has a drive and ambition and some fire that I admire about him as well. And, and there's that, something... again, that's depressing to to think that way. But I felt like that's kind of the way her wheels were spinning. I, I agree with you. There's also something in Pete's demeanor here where. You know, I mean, he's he's there at a moment's notice to help out with his daughter. He is standing up for a certain kind of honor. Um, he's showing a little more virtue than he normally does. And I think in this moment of weakness in Trudy, he is getting uh, a little more respect than he maybe deserves overall. And and also, we're, you know, take a deep breath. We're about to go to a scary place in this podcast. Is it possible that Pete's grown up and changed a bit? Oh, get out of here. No, He's sir. punching headmasters in the mouth. That I don't have a problem with that behavior. That guy deserved it. I, I guess he did. I don't know. He's taking out a 300-year-old grudge on a little girl. Fuck that guy. Sure. I, I agree with that. And then insulting I don't him. care how many billions of hamburgers you sold McDonald. You don't, you don't sign a 300-year blood feud I'm for sure, fucking yeah. over a little girl. McDonald is the Scottish company. Uh I don't Fun know. Fun fact, Pete you, is, they will not serve Campbell's. No, they won't. The, you, put it, you got a credit card and it says Campbell on it. They say, get the fuck out they of here. They cut it up, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Pete's acting a little more human, I guess. Well, and this the other statement greasy. about how his his thoughts on California, mm-hmm. how he thought it was this way and it's the other, and also like his, him and Trudy, like, again, she's like, well, maybe Pete's not that bad, and also Pete used to be in love with the city and he hated being in the suburbs. Now he's saying the city's a sewer. Yeah, he's seeing like the seedy side and how it's kind of infected everything. I don't know. Pete, 10 years older, 10 years wiser. Maybe he stays loyal to Trudy. The other weird yeah, thing is I he seems if... very he seems like he's very uncomfortable around his daughter. Like he was not at all enthused about sticking around to see her. But that might have been just his nervousness about making a meeting, too. 
Yeah, I mean, that that seems to have not changed. Pete has always been a little like that. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, he's slamming beers into her birthday cakes. He True. He's not yeah. a great father. No, no, he's <laughs> Even not. though he's willing to come to this meeting, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's the least you can do, man. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I don't know. It's a big step for Pete. And, and the other thing, conversation had really with Don about step. being worried about stuck in the beginning. Like, I, you know, and I'm not saying it's a good idea, but I feel like that there is a lot of evidence for them getting back into a comfortable routine. Will that last? I don't know. But I, I, I'm a little, again, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm a little open to Pete changing positively. Yeah. We'll see. We've got a few more episodes left. Sure. Pete gets back to the office after the, his meeting and he apparently has secured secor laxatives just in time to head out to the meeting with mccann um so they've scraped together some more business and there's a bad joke that don makes here that pete didn't make in the meeting that's a throwback to the last time they did a heist is that you know he came through and secured the laxative company at the last minute and Mm -hmm. you know that's all well and good and then we go the episode of sedam entertaining and we go to Peggy, who is preoccupied while Stan tries to pick a kid for the ad. Um, and in a fairly touching scene here, she tells him the news about McCann. Oh, no, no, this is yeah, not yeah. the one. I was going to say, uh, you're, <laughs> I'm you're thinking later. Scene. I'm jumping ahead. Uh, so she tells him about the news um, about McCann here. And then this girl staples her finger in the office. Her mother comes in and Peggy and her argue about how to raise children, basically. Sure. Um. I'm on Peggy's I, side. Like, I'm not going to condemn this mother for leaving her child behind to go do something else because, like, you know, we've talked about how little, you know, that we're a little overprotective of children nowadays. But if you're a type of parent that rolls like that, don't fucking come at me with this emergency room visit for a staple in the finger. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. Yeah. You just left her with a bunch of strangers. You left her within arm's reach of Harry Crane. <laughs> which arguably child services should get involved with. Now she didn't know that, sure. but you know, letting a child play the date, staple is not a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. Get, get out of here. I hate this woman. <laughs> you know what I hate? What? I, I hate this woman for dressing this little girl the way she does. What's wrong this with little the way girl's she dressed? It looks like it was sewn by a fucking monkey with a sewing kit. What? It's insane. Did you not look at it? No, I... I... It's got fucking ribbons and bows and pockets where they don't belong. It's <laughs> fucked up, man. And I understand it's the 70s, but it is fucked. It's kid fashion, More man. than any other outfit I've have, seen on this show. Have <laughs> you seen a pair of Oshkosh Bagosh overalls? Like, I have. They're horrible, too. Yeah. I mean, look at the name. Like, uh-huh. it's... Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I, no, I did not notice what the child was wearing. All right, what you about Stan, what about Stan's outfit? I noticed Stan's outfit. Why do All we right. love? Why do we not care that Stan is rocking an ascot? Because he doesn't care, right? Yeah, he's just wearing a denim and a big turquoise belt buckle, and <laughs> you know, he just doesn't give a fuck, man. A, a head full of hair. He's Captain Caveman. He doesn't give a shit. Whereas, Ro- whereas Richard, yeah. you can tell. I'm divorced dad, and I want to look hip, so look at my collars, and look at my ascot, and look at my my white Corinthian leather, leather shoes, or whatever. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. It's the lack of pretension in Stan that's winning. Plus, he just yep. seems like an awesome dude. He does. He does. Especially in the conversation he has later with Peggy. Uh, the way he handles that is pretty good. I have a massive man crush on Stan. I don't know if people have noticed over the years. <laughs> oh, I think they have. I think they have. <laughs> 
So we go to the McCann meeting and things definitely don't going go according to plan here. Instead of selling Hobart on their SCNP West plan, he sells them on the McCann plan. Does he? He's a McCann with a plan. <laughs> uh, yeah, he does. I mean, kind of. As much as he's going to, he certainly sells Ted. He sells Ted. He sells the hell out of Ted. Yeah. He's got a fucking bow on ready to go. And Pete. Pete's I on board Pete with this, too. Yeah. And Don, Don's kind of intrigued by it, but Joan is not happy. And Roger's not happy, we find out later. Yeah, and it's so weird how he, like, mind-read these guys. Oh, you know what? He's making use of the fucking forecast. Yeah. The, uh, the report that says, hey, where do you see us in five Ass- years? Yeah, assuming that Don put all that in and it tr- properly attributed it, which I don't know what that would look like in a, a, a yeah. forecast. But yeah, now, because I was, I just now realized that, oh, yes, this is how he got this. Because otherwise, he's like a goddamn, like, Faustian devil. <laughs> go, go, yeah. go. Which also I read as I saw in Seppenwall's review that that's actually season one callback because Hobart tried to get Don to jump ship back then and he used the uh, casting Betty as a Coca Cola mom hmm. as a way to rekindle her modeling career, but it's really just a way to get in Don's good graces. So yes. whisper him whispering Coca Cola had a little bit more meaning than even his Faustian devil routine. Cool. Yeah, so he's he's just handing out clients like candy here. Uh, and I think the implication is that they can actually work on these projects. Um, and that's the problem that Joan has with not being mentioned is she doesn't see any future for herself there. Well, and all she sees is uh, her other interactions with the, you know, McCann Erickson folks. They're a bunch of tool bags. They're a bunch of juvenile teenage to- tool bags that are not going to take her seriously at mm-hmm. best and sexually harass her at worst. And she's got a contract. What's she going to do? What is she going to do? This is kind of scary. This is a yeah, you're very right. scary moment you're for You're right, because unlike Don or Roger, who can just be like, fuck your contract, we're out. Uh, you know, Joan is kind of off on this plank. And if she she yeah. terminates her contract, she's sawing that plank off behind her. So she's really stuck in a way the other guys aren't. Indeed. The shot of them standing, sitting there is a is a direct mirror of the shot of them at the end of, was it season four, when they're surveying the new office space? Mm-hmm. And it's just a brilliant shot. And the way they called back to that, like, you know, here's a shot of them standing and looking at all this potential. And here's a shot of them sitting shell-shocked that it's all over. Yep. Uh, and that's why Mad Men's a great genius show. Yeah. Uh, after the meeting, the partners are commiserating over drinks, and Joan and Pete leave, and the other guys stay around, and Ted's really happy about things, how things have worked out. He's ready for someone else to drive. Yeah. And apparently Pete is going to go call Trudy. That's yeah, another that's thing another... that makes me believe, hmm, mm-hmm. maybe something's going on between them again, or Antenna, he's going to. Antenna's twitching. Yeah. So then Pete and Joan take a cab home, and she cautions him not to put too much stock in what Hobart says. And Joan's worried that they're not going to take her seriously at McCann. And Pete says the right thing about her. You know, it's like, well, they don't know who you're dealing with. Yeah. And Joan smiles, but still you can tell she's deeply troubled about all this development. Yeah. I mean, he can say that and that's, that's fine. But at the end of the day, I think Joan is right. They're not going to take her seriously at all. Well, plus, I mean, that's the other thing. Like her, a lot of her cachet with Richard is that she's this powerful 
independent woman who's got her own. Uh And if this spins into where she's a joke in her own company or she has to quit, then is Richard going to feel the same way about her? Is she going to feel the same way about herself? Can she even have that relationship if they're not on equal footing? Sure. Lot. I mean, this is a big existential <laughs> crisis for Joan. They don't make a huge deal about it in this episode, they, but, you, they, but I it's think there. The Wiener is relying on us to pick up all these things yeah. he's putting down and relying on Christina Hendricks uh, per performance as well. Yep. Peggy and Stan are trying to work, but Peggy can't uh, get that argument with that mother out of her head. And then she drops some big old knowledge on Stan about the kid she gave up. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the scene. This is the scene. I think... Stan comes across as a bit of a dick at the beginning. But by the end of this, I think he, you know, with this new knowledge about what Peggy's gone through and Peggy's view on things, I think he understands her better and he handles it pretty well at the end. I think it's a great blueprint for like men to shut the fuck up and listen to women when they talk about their issues. Get a little perspective. Like, you don't know? feel like you have to be defensive. <laughs> don't feel like, and you will feel that. And don't feel sure. like you have to explain how the word, or mansplain as a, as a, woman would say how the world really works and just listen to what they have to say man you might learn something or come up with a new appreciation yeah and i think peggy is uh rightfully resentful of you know the ways in which a man can behave and it still be okay yeah you know i mean he makes some wry joke about not even knowing if he has kids maybe he does uh she uses the phrase twice like doing something like a man can do sure uh, just if you want to, you can abandon your kid. If you want, you don't have any of that responsibility and it's not expected of you in the society that we live in. I mean, I have in a, the same way. It's weird that this is couched in yeah, I, everything she says is right on. It did bother me a little bit that she's essentially advocating for abandoning children. Uh, I, I don't like, know. It's Parts maybe it it's equally like bad. Well, I mean, I get so she, assuming that this kid is adopted by well-adjusted parents and not going through the foster system and all that stuff. But it's not like it's okay for dudes to just abdicate their responsibility as a father. Certainly, yeah. And you know, it's like I don't. I I kind of want to go the other way, where it's like it's that's douchey behavior on both sexes, rather than men getting a passport and women held to a higher standard. Okay, I. Yes, uh, from that angle, I agree. The thing I think she's talking about here is that he, like like he says, he may not even know that he uh, has children out there. That is not an option for a woman. That's true. If you have a child out there, you fucking know it. That's what I'm saying. Like, And I, so that weighs mentally on you, and she makes that point during the conversation. I think that's more what she's getting after. Yeah, yeah. No, it's very insightful, Jim. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah, we've talked about the ascot. I'm going to keep moving. Okay. Um, Donna, Roger, smoke, and drink at the bar while they discuss their lives. They're the last two left. Uh, Before he leaves, Roger tells Don that he's been sleeping with Marie. Don not really having a problem with it at this point, which I guess makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, that part of his life is over. Uh, Go do your thing, Roger. Yeah, once you find out that Megan already knew and this isn't another shoe for him to wait to drop like an A-bomb, then it's like, okay, whatever. Uh, Although, Roger, man, she's still a fucking psychotic she's she's mean she's manipulative i i can't imagine that roger's behavior is going to enthrall her any more than her old husband's did uh you know maybe they're the he's this he's this she's the crazy person this sociopath deserves like yes um, yes she'll sell all of this right furniture word. but she'll also give him a public blowjob 
and okay. you yep. know why he's tripping on acid out of he's given away window. apartments what's a bunch of furniture to him you know? <laughs> multiple apartments. i also like his like you know when when john when don started to get a little preachy he's like well i remember you giving me shit for marrying my secretary and then he went and did the same thing and i was just thinking <laughs> don's like so what do i marry your mother no she's dead i i threw up in the umbrella stand at her funeral that yep, that yep. can't happen uh what do you think about the pronouncement "you're okay" and kissing him right there on his cheek? I I don't know, man. Because they have a weird, not quite father son, not quite brother, yeah. not quite best bud. There's elements of all that. I think so. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense because Don's never had a father. Period. So yeah. like it's it's fitting that his father figure would be a complicated amalgam of a bunch of different male bonding experiences i don't don't think don has any friends really other than roger they are throughout it all that's the thing they're always there for each other yeah even you know so so that works um the other thing is roger is roger saying that his chauffeur was screwing his grandmother is that (laughs) that what he's saying there he makes some crack that i don't quite understand yeah like i yeah uh uh-huh i that All I right. don't know. I I've if, wa- if you were my chauffeur, saw, you'd be screwing my grandmother. Never saw that in Downton Abbey. Nope. Um, sure, the 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 young hot middle middle sister, but not the grandmother, not the Dowager Countess. <laughs> uh, but this is the one where Roger is is talking about his legacy, yes. and not having anything that's going to live on past him. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm thinking that there is some rekindling to be done. Yeah, because, you know, like how, what is a vector that Joan and Richard's relationship can go south? And I kind of, we talked about in the last scene, and those are the same things that would maybe make a relationship with Roger, or at least letting him into her life enough that he could be a father to her child would be appealing. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And like again, okay. that's like I'm trying to read the tea leaves here, the wiener and where he's going the next three episodes. And that's, that's something that I'm, that's on my radar. Okay. Don goes to Diana's old apartment, but she's moved out and the new tenants have no idea where she is. I really like this scene. It works on a couple of levels. It does. Uh, Don's there and he's confused by this whole thing. Um, I'm I'm just here looking for Diana. What are you you guys doing? But when he walks away and he's like, "Uh, want another drink? (laughs) Kenneth is, he doesn't, he hasn't had a drink with Don, but he would like to. That's right. He doesn't (laughs) know the guy, but he would like to in the biblical (laughs) sense. Yeah. Uh, and I, I seriously doubt this is the first time that a stranger has shown up at their door because this other guy immediately goes to Kenneth. D- what? Why oh, is this yes. happening again? Yes. And Kenneth is a, you know, Kenneth is a little older, maybe dumpier. Or no, I'm sorry, the the guy, the, the other guy, man. yeah, yeah. And Kenneth is younger and hotter, and he's not even being all that defensive about it. I, yeah, there's sure they painted a nice picture there. It was it was it interesting. Is. Uh, so Don and Shirley are talking. What, okay, before we move on, why is Don still running around chasing Diana? I I think that I I feel like the emailer last year or last year last week had a drop the mic moment. Like Don wants to recreate the time he was most emotionally vulnerable and wanted to be loved, and that woman rightfully recoiled in horror of what that looked like. And he mm-hmm. wants to. I mean, I'm sticking with that until I see evidence for otherwise. He's obsessed. Okay. With saving this broken woman in the same way he wished that he could be saved way back when. That's crazy, yeah. but that's Don. Do you have a better theory? No, I'm just thinking about, you know, the notion that Don likes the beginning of things. I feel like the only thing that that's untrue in his life, uh, the only place where that's untrue in his life is his actual life. Like, 
he had a pretty miserable beginning to his life. Uh, I, I'm trying to figure out and sort out what's happened in the last couple of episodes with that idea. That that that's very that's very antithetical to who Don is as okay. a person in some ways. Uh, but I, I don't know what it means. So let's move on. Um, Don and Shirley are talking about the move when Meredith overhears and. Pfft, my goodness, that's the end of the world. We should put a bell on you. <laughs> I love that. It's so line. great. It's so great seeing Don and Shirley be catty to her. Yep. So she goes to Don's office to find out what the hell's going on, and Don tells her it's going to be fine. Don't worry about There's it. You're coming with me. Rumors flying around like bats. Everyone's how, living in a fright. How much more explicit do you need to be? We we get it. Don's a vampire. Jesus Christ. Yep. Yep. His next apartment will be a mausoleum with a coffin for a bed. Seems like it. They have a lot of vampire references. I still don't know what no it means. Fooling. I still don't know what it means. He's Well, I mean, there's emotional vampire, all that. I but know, yeah, but is it actually going to mean anything in the long term? I think Don is going to turn into a bat in a puff of smoke and flap off into the moon light. Right off his balcony. Right off his balcony. Yep. And say, blah, blah, and that, there you go. Perfect. Final, final scene, and that's a wrap. Uh... <laughs> So Stan calls Peggy from his office and she tells him that she's going to McCann and that he can too. Mm. This is a good callback to, you know, what Stan and Peggy have been doing all along in this series. Oh, I love the phone resumption of the phone routine as if they were already at competing agencies. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it was great. I, I loved it. Do you feel at all like maybe... Stan thinks he's a little bit in the doghouse with with Peggy. No, like that's why he didn't just go to her office. No, or is this more of like a reaching out kind of connection that they had in the past? I think it's just the kind of they're going through the mattress. I think it's it's yeah, rekindling the past. Because honestly, I feel like if I were Stan, I would feel closer to Peggy than I ever have. I would think so. And I'm not saying there's although there's a lot of I think uh, you know. uh, It feels like the Peggy shipping has veered course to Stan land uh in the last few weeks or two but i don't know that there's even that I, there was no sexual component to any of that it was just yeah it was just two people sharing intense emotions and feelings about and frank honest opinions about stuff mm-hmm. so but having said that yeah they they obviously have a special relationship sure i and i as much as you know i it hasn't happened i kind of would like to see them together okay i think that'd be cool I swear to God, I swear to God, I feel like I'm recapping the Gilmore Girls here. We should do yeah. that. That's our next project. Recap who, the Gilmore who, Girls. Who we can sh- argue about who's whose boyfriend, who was Rory's best boyfriend. Do you know a character's name from the Gilmore I Girls? I loved, get, man, oh, I'm not my. even fronting. I fucking love the Gilmore Girls. What is wrong with get you? Get the fuck at you. Yeah. <laughs> you're this is like, you're, just, you're more angry li- about this than you are in Banshee. Gilmore uh, Girls is that's awesome. That's by design, my friend. Gilmore Girls is awesome. <laughs> It is. Okay, sure. The um, dialogue alone. I'll take your word for it. You you like justified and you won't give Gilmore Girls a shot? Get the fuck out of here. Hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, who would you ship Meredith with? How about that? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I feel like that actually deserves I don't want, a, a no. semi-serious answer. I don't want you to Who's think about this. Who's the guy that this? wants to know if he grows his hair out? Boom. Was that Ed? Wants to know if he grows his hair no, out? No, he asked Peggy if he should grow his hair out. His math Oh, is. yeah, it was uh, Ed. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think uh, okay, Meredith Ed and, and Ed. Meredith. I like that. It's a good combo. Anyway, the partners call a staff meeting, 
to announce the move, and everyone except for Harry is upset. <laughs> and it's really Which interesting. Should tell us here. all this is a bad idea. I, I think so. Yeah. Any any idea that Harry's on board with is automatically a bad idea. Not even Don at no. the end of this can step in and save the day here, and I, he tries. Yeah. I mean that's it's, the thing. You can't. And having survived the corporate merger, you cannot tell a bunch of people that have like, this is good news for some of you, but a lot of you are in redundant jobs. Like Don says, they don't need another office manager. Hell, I'm the second secretary already. Mm -hmm. There are these people working in the mail room and a copy room and they're, they're just vestigial organs at this point. Yeah. Many of those people will be cut. And I don't like it's it was amazing to me to see like the place I went through the the I feel like the officers of the company were really shocked at how negative a reaction it was that we you, we are uprooting all of your lives. We who are rich are, and are going richer. to get richer uh-huh. are going to have the details of your severance plan and all that stuff for you. But but you who have worked for this company for 20 years in the case of some of these people and are like in your 50s and 60s and don't want to deal with all this mess. Yeah. Deal with all this mess. I can't believe you guys are not wanting to sit through a dog and pony and are grumbling and are sh- shacking up in your offices and and talking conspiracy theories. Like that how can that be surprising to people? No, I think it's it's badly handled by the partners here. I think announcing this at a company meeting without any kind of plan going oh. forward is a mistake. But and at least McCann was trying to do something like that. Bullshit. They fucked up. No, no, no. They fucked up. They okay, said this okay. was supposed to be the last thing that happened. Okay. With the lease stuff. Sure. Instead, it was the first. So they they were clearly developing a plan. These guys didn't. They just went in and said we're selling. I'm saying there is no way that you can deliver this news and have people be like, "Oh, thank you. Can I have another?" You're probably right. That's no. what I'm saying. It's a fool's errand. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Just buckle up for a lot of negative energy because you're putting a lot of negative energy into these people's lives. Sure. So I, I think that's indisputable. Yes. And then we get the outro music from Dean Martin. It's called "Money Burns a Hole in My Pocket." I thought it was super interesting, considering the state of some of these guys. Something, you know? something for us to keep in mind when we're bought by CBS and then consumed, <laughs> and we have to lay off all of our podcasting staff, Tom, which are zero. At Tom the and moment, Kelly, but... we have something to. T- <laughs> Wait, we paid them? Uh, Amy, Susan, bad news. Should have got out with Eric and Jesse. The ship's going down. And you are the rats. Uh, yeah. The so the sentiment here is, I wish I had millions of dollars and yep. nothing to do. And it seems like some of these people are in that situation. That's everybody's dream, right? Have I, fuck you money I, no, and not have I'm, to do anything. It's a lot of people's dreams. It's probably my dream, but well, it's even not if it's even if it's like everybody's. I've got a, dr- a bigger and better dream to do something else. Like yeah, yeah. Having fuck you money with no strings attached is as mm-hmm. close as real absolute power that anyone can have in this world. I think so. Until yeah. you know, I get bit by a radioactive spider or toxic chemicals dumped in my eyes. That's as close mm-hmm. to superpower as anyone. Or get have. fired to another planet there with a different go. sun. I yep. Yeah, I need to get the red sun. You do. So red sun's going to do it for me. <laughs> and that's it. That's it for the episode. Uh, I thought this was a, just a really super entertaining. Yeah, it's one. crowd pleaser. Yeah. Nobody wrote in and said this is a shitty episode, which is probably the first I think in in Mad Men history because that's something that Mad hmm. Men fans seem to like to do is worry about the future of Mad Men. Hell, I know I do it. I was super worried. What was it? Episode two of this this half season? Might even last season, last We're, episode. I was getting a little angsty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not that uh, we're but, out of the woods, but especially but, the the episode with Diana. That 
that second one was had me scared where I didn't even really understand yeah. the episode. But I, I feel like that this was a really this this essentially was the wiener judoing us that he had kind of lulled us to sleep with. Oh, it's the same pattern. It's the same pattern. It's the same pattern. And this is the turning point. And, I, you know, it's the mm-hmm. middle of the season of this half season, whatever. It feels appropriate for it to be a pivot point, but we're now pivoting into the end game. And no, the old strategies are absolutely not going to work. But Don says this is the beginning, not an end. And he's being shouted down. That's I significant. I, I completely agree. Yeah. And I I don't know what that says for Don. If he's forced into an end uh, for for his life, you know, I'm not saying like a physical end to his life. Mm-hmm. I'm saying if he's forced into some kind of end game, I don't know what that looks like for him. It'll be a hell of a lot of, of fun to find out. And, if, yeah. you know, I don't know what the next three episodes are going to hold, but I felt, feel really rewarded as a Mad Men fan after this episode. Yep. Hey, everybody. I want to tell you about some ways you can support Bald Move. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the club, and the club's good. Club.baldmove.com. It's a buck a month. You get access to a bunch of extra features, and it helps uh, keep our lights on. Uh, but also, don't want to forget about Amazon. I mean, maybe... Maybe you're just not into the whole recurring payments thing. Maybe you only like the beginnings of things. Maybe you only like the uh, chinchilla furs and the jaguars of the world. Well, Jeff Bezos is happy to sell them to you with free shipping, two-day shipping on Amazon. And instead of just going to Amazon.com and it being all about that, put an Amazon.baldmove.com in their browser, and you're going to have the same experience. It's not going to cost you a dime. But what you will do is send fabulous, fabulous uh, goods and prizes our way in the form of pennies that we're siphoning off of Bezos one by one. Uh, it's a great way to support Bald Move. It's uh, in, and people always, you know, say it's like, oh, I don't know if it means anything. I don't know if it adds up. It does. We get like a third of our funding solely from the Amazon affiliate link. So again, it's a great way to support Bald Move. It's easy. All you got to do is remember Amazon.baldmove.com before you go to Amazon, and our affiliate code will do the rest. Uh, if you are an international customer, like you know, Canada, Japan, uh, UK, France, Germany, you can go to support.baldmove.com, and we've got all the international affiliates set up too. I know that's a frequent question I always forget, and we're getting paid on that. Every once in a while, we'll get uh, some a check for Deutschmarks or kinda, pound yeah. sterling, and the Chase people, we go to deposit the check, and they look at us side-eyed, but it, uh, it, it, does, it does work, so... Thank you for everyone that supported us so far. We could not do what we do without you, and we very much appreciate it. Let's do some feedback, yeah? Starting out with uh, Lisa Double L. I'm listening to your forecast podcast and have to disagree with Jim's Don hate. You bastard. Don's attractiveness has not been evident to him his whole life. Flashbacks have shown him as a gangly, unwanted, freckle-faced boy with a bad bowl cut. He was raped by a prostitute. He clearly says, stop, don't do that. So that's rape, and he's underage. And then he's beaten with a wooden spoon afterwards. Don Draper is someone so desperate to leave his miserable life, he stole a man's identity. Don probably sees himself broken and ugly. I'd like to think Don's friendship Hmm. with Anna had healed some of his brokenness, and I'm sure she'd uh, let him know that he could leverage his considerable good looks. But Don is not by any means some smooth player who has had life handed to him on a silver platter. That would be Roger. I think it's necessary to keep Don's damaged psyche and impoverished origins in mind when judging him. I think it's more about the people who let Don get away with murder because of how he looks than it is about him consciously using his attractiveness privilege. Okay. And then she lists exhaustively tale that Don has passed up on. 
Stephanie, his quote-unquote niece, Peggy, oh, she tried, Frank Gleason's daughter, Wendy, the groupies at the Stones concert, the blonde who approaches him when he's in a meeting with the guys from Wells, Rich and Green, Bobby Barrett after she told him he has a rep as Lethart. Oh, fuck off. He did have sex with Bobby Barrett now. Come on. Come on. You had a nice list there going. Let's not, we don't have to, we don't have to, we don't have to pad out the resume. Uh, Joan, Lee Garner Jr., Meredith, and many, many more. Hashtag Team Don. Don is the hero, not a monster. I think he okay. can be both. Uh, no, I, I agree. Um, Don, yeah, probably doesn't see himself as a smooth player. Maybe, maybe I misspoke there. I think <laughs> the the point that I was trying to make last episode, if I recall, was that he's getting away with murder because of it. And I, I don't think she would disagree with that. Yeah, whether he's subconscious. Like, like I, he doesn't realize how much it affects his life that he is attractive. And, and super maybe, fair maybe point, that's because he doesn't think he is attractive. Super fair point. He was a late bloomer. So it's there are some people yeah. that were you know, good looking and wealthy and privileged from there. And they, and they interact with the world. And you see this with young stars, right? You see the Justin Bieber's of the world, you know, uh, the Lindsay Lohan's, they have never, no one's ever told them that they oh, are yeah. ugly or stupid or wrong. And then they act in a way that it's impossible for that to occur. Sure. So Don's definitely not that. And that's a fair point, but I, yeah, I yeah. do think that, it doesn't have to be black and white. And Don is the hero of the story. And I'm hoping he triumphs. I'm hoping that he gets some sort of peace. Um, but I can also acknowledge that he's done a lot of despicable things as a result of all of his damaged upbringing. So, yeah. Mary E said, I listened to the episode this week and had some ideas on the Wieners casting of his own son as Glenn. I always thought that the Wiener planned from the beginning to have Glenn on as a recurring character for the series. And what better way to ensure that an actor will always be available for a random guest spot than casting your own son who's not that great? Then there's no chance he will be cast in another series or leave for another project and be unavailable. Oh, God. Very neat and tidy, this relationship. It's a good way to make television. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought of Glenn as a Cast stand- the worst actors possible so they'll never be unavailable. <laughs> great. <laughs> I think that was Lucas's philosophy with the prequels. <laughs> I think so. And somehow uh, Ewan and uh, what's-her-face, Natalie, s- snuck through. Mm-hmm. I always thought of Glenn as a stand-in for the wiener in the series. Couldn't he have been about the same age as Glenn during the 60s? I can totally see him as being a weirdo kid growing up. You know, I thought so too. And I had that theory last week I was going to mention on the podcast. I looked it up. When do you think Matthew Weiner was born? 19... 19- 62. God damn it. It's 65. 65. So how the hell could he be a stand-in for Glenn? Yeah. He could be a stand-in for Gene. Glenn's at least, like, what, eight years older than he would be? Uh, yeah. I mean, Ten, that's that's almost. that's a huge difference. Like, yeah. you know. That's the difference between being, like, a child of the 70s and a child exactly. of the 80s like I was, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Big difference. So what do you consider yourself a child of? Kind of early 90s, honestly. Because like, I was born in 76, but I definitely identify with being a child of the 80s. And I was thinking you're just missed that. I, I mean, I totally remember like being awed by all the stuff in the 80s. Right. But I wasn't part of like the music scene sure. in the 80s. I was much more part of the music scene in the 90s. Yeah. Um, I just wasn't old enough at the time. Ace yeah. of bass, baby. But video games, like 85, boom. I'm well, okay. Like I hit my stride when I was young on video games. Sure. Never all looked right. back. Moving on, but see, that's the thing. You're a Nintendo kid, and I was an Atari kid. I mean, I just remember different things, right? Like Video e. game consoles have to have wood grain, baby, <laughs> and physical dip switches that you flip. <laughs> sure. But, but like stuff like E.T. and the Goonies and like all the stuff that came out in the 80s mm-hmm. and, and some of it in the later 80s, 
uh, that's the kind of stuff I remember because it was tailored toward huh. my age group. That's Whereas, like, you missed out on the Princess Bride. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Because that's right up. That's uh, your dad must have just fucking hated that movie. It's like oh, I'm not my son. All not. my friends loved it. They watched it constantly. I'm telling you, and I just never got around to it. Denise C. Don is going to die! Exclamation points times three. When I watched Waterloo last year, I thought Don was on the road to redemption. So say we all. But these last three episodes, death, death, and death, for your consideration. Have you noticed that all the men look like they're in a new era to the point of comic exaggeration? I mean, come on. Roger looks like Colonel Sanders. Even if Roger and Ted and Pete are the same old pigs they always were, they're moving forward in time and they look like it. But Don, no mustache, no leisure suits, no sideburns, he's being left behind. He wore a blue shirt and tried growing his hair a tad over his ears, but Roger tells him to cut his hair. He's trying to dip his toe in the future, but it doesn't stick. There's no place for him there. Mm-hmm. That performance review with Peggy, when asked about the future, she told him, I can see myself having your job, and neither of them flinched. Don didn't say, if you're the creative director, then what will I be doing? It's like they both know he won't be there anymore. The final scene of this week's episode where the realtor excitedly tells him that she sold the apartment, she shoes him out the door to get him out of the way, but we get a glimpse of the couple buying the place, and the wife is very visibly pregnant. The wiener basically put a flashing neon sign that says, New life, the future, in front of us, and then pushes Don out and literally closes the door in his face. New life and future, that door has been closed for Don. And the biggest sign of all, the one that just screams Don is going to die, in each of the last three episodes, Wiener makes a point to show us Lane's old Mets banner hanging in Don's office. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Weiner is usually subtle, but this is another flashing neon sign to me that says, Death, death, miserable and tragic death. I recently saw an interview with uh, Matthew Weiner. He said when he was first pitching the show before it was on the air, he knew how it would end. It got me thinking about how he would describe the show in the beginning. A guy whose whole life is built on a lie, even his very identity. He's in advertising, which is an industry built upon selling lies. Ads try to convince us if we buy what we're selling, we'll be happier, but it's an illusion. Illusions aren't real and they can't last. I think Don will die, but Dick Whitman will live on. Oh, this is a cheat. Dick will see his version of Don Draper for who and what he was and leave him in the past. The only road to redemption here is for Dick Whitman to embrace his full truth. In order for that to happen, Don must die. So the figurative death. Yeah. Is that satisfying if Dick Whitman walks away from Don Draper and then presumably his children and everything? That's the sticking point for me. Ooh, Any yeah, theory that I mean, says Dick Whitman and Don's dying, I he's got it. It's not a happy ending for me if Sally and Bobby aren't there. I agree with that. Um, I I don't know. <laughs> you got to ask yourself if you think this is going to have a happy ending or not. I don't and know. And I'm still not certain. I don't know. Three three episodes away, I don't know. I won't be certain until I see the credits roll in the last episode. <laughs> and even then, it might be so cryptic that I'm still not sure. Yeah, you know, we didn't know anything about Justified either, and that turned out all right. Yeah. So, uh, Eric, I sent in word of a new Tumblr site, which is actually pretty fantastic. It's thewomenofdondraper.tumblr.com. And it is a really cool 70s style illustration of every woman that Don has ever slept with. Cool. From the very beginning of the season up through the current season. Uh, presumably they'll update it as he scores more. But mm-hmm. uh, it's it's definitely worth a lunchtime browse. Again, the women of Donald, or I'm sorry, the women of Don Draper.tumblr.com. And of course, Tumblr doesn't have an E in it. Just remember that. It's Tumblr. Tumblr. Yep. 
Catherine, I have to point out some things about the Betty Glenn relationship. Betty says, because I'm married for the exact same reason Don provides to Sally, not to embarrass Glenn. I believe we're supposed to infer that Betty is responding politely to an advance that is actually unwanted. She rejects him for all the reasons you gave. He's a teenager, etc., but she isn't going to stick to or stick it to him by saying that. Throughout the years, Glenn represents Betty's emotional age. When she gives him her his hair, holds his hand in the couch, and gets jealous when he befriends Sally, it's because she has the maturity of a child. That's evident when the psychologist tells Betty, you can talk to me, but I'm a child psychologist. Mm-hmm. When Betty calls Helen after Glenn runs away from home and he screams, I hate you at her, their friendship is severed. Then Glenn uses Sally's friendship to further torment Betty. It's always been about Betty, and now we have a clear illustration of that. That's actually a dark take on this relationship. Do you buy that, that this was Glenn playing the long con of hanging on to Sally as a way to hang on to Betty and using Sally essentially this whole time? Kind of, yeah. I do too. <laughs> that is, it's going to be a trip to rewatch this series when you see some of these scenes of, you know, him. Me- I don't know. I mean, man. Well, that, that's a, so that's a good reason for this kid to have continued coming back throughout the years. Right. I mean, when you look at his appearances, mm-hmm. they don't mean a whole lot in context. I mean, yeah, but him and w- without- Sally were weird together. They were weird in different ways, but they did have this wound in quality. And I don't, I don't know that I want to chalk it all up to him being cynical and trying to hang on to Be- Betty. Although clearly, there is at least some of that there. Yeah, I, I, maybe it's not all that, but I think there's a lot of that in it. All right, let's flip this coin and look at it from Betty's side. Though she likes the attention from Glenn, she ultimately does the right thing and calls his mother to come uh, come and pick him up when he runs away. Um, as a child, this move shows that she can be in control and do the acceptable thing. Although it's harsh when Betty fires Carla, she expressly told Carla that Glenn wasn't allowed in the house. Carla says, I didn't see the harm, but I believe there actually was some harm to Sally's psyche as a result of the relationship which we now see. Glenn used Sally to get to Betty, and Sally is crushed by the experience. I think that Betty telling Glenn, you're welcome here anytime, we are supposed to see the growth in her character. She's no longer banning Glenn from the house and has dropped the vitriol towards him. I believe that both Betty and Don have done damaging things to their children. Both have tried to ignore them, have yelled at them, and have psychologically hurt them. The major plus for Don is that he respects his children as people, whereas Betty seems to see them as extensions of herself. On the flip side, Betty has always been physically present for them and seems to be improving on the psychological front. I don't think that either parent is better, and I think Don tells us that when he makes it clear that they've been a parenting unit for better or worse. You're like your mother and me. They're intrinsically connected. I still want to give the nod to Don because I feel like his heart's more in the right place, but I don't know that I can defend it. Yeah. Betty has grown so much, right? If this is season five, Betty, I'm saying, yeah, Don's a way better parent, even though he's never there. Uh, the damage that he's not doing to these kids is better than the damage that Betty is being there. I just go back to last. She's season, grown a lot though. What she did to Bobby. at that, I, Yeah. That picnic. That's pretty brutal. It was, it was, but I feel like maybe she learned a thing or two from that. Maybe. I guess that's the other thing. I also feel Don did things by carelessness, and she did things with malicious intent. And yeah. I don't, I don't know that that makes a difference as a child experiencing it, neglect versus maliciousness. Mm-hmm. But I tend to judge the one harsher than the other. Yeah, I mean, it, it is about intention a lot of the time. I mean, you you got to at least give some <laughs> leniency for that. Uh, Ryan from SLC took a throw-off comment by me and ran with it. Said, listening to your last podcast, something caught my attention. Aaron, you mentioned the nice touch that the wiener put in the story about little Kevin being afraid of horses. 
Carl Jung, the pioneer of analytical psychology, taught that the archetype of the horse is a very significant symbol to watch for when analyzing the subconscious mind. In a nutshell, the archetype of the horse is closely related to the mother and the womb, as well as one's physical well-being. Kevin being afraid of horses could be telling us of his inner turmoil in life and possibly, God forbid, physical danger or sickness. I don't know if that's why this little detail is included in the story, but if it was, it makes it even more impressive considering Joan's story arc during this episode and season. What does me being afraid of a turtle mean is all I want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Is, Is it possible that he's afraid of Joan's mother? You saying she's a horse face? No, but she has been... Mostly raising him, right? While Joan is out doing her thing. Mm-hmm. I wonder if she's not wrapped up in this more than Joan is. Hmm. Or the babysitter. I like. Well, yeah, okay. I don't know, man. Because I feel like he, she has not been a big part of his life up till now. Hmm. Like, especially once Bob left. I just don't know where the horse connection comes in. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's saying it's representative of a mother figure. The, I, yeah. I, I don't know either. I'm I'm not a psychologist, obviously, but And you're right. It's his mom's being a career woman now and there's you know, she's he's got three women that kind of like juggle him in her life. I don't know what that feels like either. My mom was a stay at home mom. And I mean we know what a shit I have Joan's a lot mother of, was. I have a lot of complex, great weird feelings about my relationship with my mother, so I'm not yeah. the one to judge, but I don't know. That seems like it would be weird to kind of be raised like that. I would think so. Yeah. But on the other hand, like Hillary says, it takes a village, like <laughs> pre-industrial revolution that's kind of how people were raised communi- yeah. communally right i guess so sure uh chris says what was or i was just watching a rerun and thinking of everyone's idea that somehow the man in the credits plummeting to his death is don so how about this idea don finds some building somewhere and takes a header no one's around except for a homeless man a vagrant whatever he examines don's body obviously dead he takes his wallet and places his id on don Police arrive and examine the scene. They ask the homeless man what happened, and he just says he got there, and this poor guy must have hated his life, etc. Final scene, the cop says to the man, we're going to need your name, sir, and he says, sure, I'm Donald Draper. In the 70s, with no DNA, Don could be so alone by this point that no one's going to know him or claim his body. Does that pass the Jim Jones bullshit test? Are you satisfied with that ending? Uh, I, hmm. So Dick Whitman takes the identity of Don Draper and Don Draper passes that identity to someone else who takes it from him. Uh-huh. In an opportunistic way. I don't know, it's it's kind of poetic. There is some poetic elements and I you know, this is the first this is the first draft, right? Sure, yeah. This is not this is the idea you take to the writer's room. Yeah. And, and, and they spitball and yeah. You noodle and spitball. Uh-huh. Uh but <laughs> it's interesting. I just wonder like y- you take his wallet the police don't ask for ID. Well, I mean, I'm, if he does, well, I'll get so, picture. But I, I think there are don't pictures you on we licenses. Saw, we and, saw a driver's license a couple years back, and they didn't have photos on them. No, yeah, they were. When just did like, they start that? Probably when it was cheap to make photo full full color copies of things, which it's not for a while. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I guess it passes the bullshit. I do like the poetry of it. Yeah. There, there's some sense of just feeling right, but I don't know. Well, there you go. We don't hate your idea, Chris. Um, <laughs> I and that's the other thing is like there's very few possibilities you could tell me that I would just dismiss out of hand. Yeah, because this show has a way of making chicken salad out of chicken shit sometimes, and taking 
you know, the realities of life and making them very compelling in a way that you wouldn't expect. So mm-hmm. I can't dismiss anything out of hand. Liz G says, as I watch Mad Men, I find myself comparing the final season of this show to the final seasons of Breaking Bad, Sons of Anarchy, and Justified. Breaking Bad made great use of the hours they had left to tell their story. I don't recall thinking any of the episodes were a waste of time. With Sons, not so much. And I don't know anything about FX, so I'm going to just trust your opinion. Um, Mad Men is is handling time like Sons did. They're not doing the most and best things with the limited amount of time they have remaining, and it is annoying to me. I'm almost finished with Justified Season 6. New people are being introduced, and they're making great use of their time. We'll see if I still feel this way once I'm done with the series. But another hour of Mad Men and the most interesting element was a three- to five-minute scene with Peggy and Stan. The McCann stuff is not compelling TV when they have so few hours of show left, and I didn't need to see Trudy. And I don't recall you guys mentioning her as someone you'd be eager to see again before the series ends. I wonder if anyone else feels the same way about these final Mad Men episodes. So I was wrong. Someone had a negative opinion on the show. Okay. And it was Liz G. And I'm sorry. I I can see your point for sure, and I kind of been would have been more or less with you up until last episode, but the big difference here is they made a good use of the characters' histories, mm-hmm. and it was entertaining, and I'm not so sure that you could say that the previous three episodes are going to be seen as a waste of time when you see the entire work as a whole. Maybe. We just don't know yet. Because we've been through seasons where it's like, what the hell is going on with all this Dante's Inferno and all these weird death fantasies? And by the end, it all turned out well. So, Yeah, and I, having seen how Justified ended, uh, they really knocked that last episode out of the park. And I sure think, did. I, I think Mad Men could do something similar. And, and, and tellingly, two episodes before that, I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? How are we going to get to where I want this to go? Yeah. And they did. They did. And so I have faith that they can bring it around in Mad Men as well. Sure. Because it'll be super entertaining if the wiener lets us down and we could just <laughs> bomb on him for two hours in the final cast. Yeah. And I mean, that's not to say that it's a you win-win know, win for us. It's either going to be awesome or I love it, or we can just have a giant bitch. Fi- like, True. oh, can you imagine how much fun it'd be to to have been a, doing a podcast on The Sopranos and that final episode hits? <laughs> the feedback? My God, the feedback. Yeah. People were losing their minds, and they still engage in bitter arguments about whether that was brilliant or terrible. I've seen it. I don't know what I the have fuck I would have op- said about I it. I have a strong opinion on the episode, and I haven't even seen it, man. I know. I know. I've read 40,000 words on that episode, and I haven't seen it. <laughs> it says more about you than it does the episode. Well, I'm not saying it doesn't. <laughs> But I've got some episodes left in my life, Jim, and I'll ask you not to judge. Uh, Adam X. What I've seen so far has been a waste of fucking time. (laughs) Adam X says, when Don's secretary says, do you need ice? After all the partners come into Don's office, it could be seen as a metaphor for needing ice for the fact that they were all sucker punched hard by McCann Erickson and closing down SC&P. Just like Judy told Pete that he needed ice after hitting Mr. McDonald, the school admissions worker, and the little girl needed first aid after being startled from Stan getting hit by the news from Peggy. But like McDonald said, it's not about space in the school or in the time life building. It's not about Pete's fault for what Miss uh, McCann Erickson or the King ordered 300 years ago. Like Stan says, it's nobody's fault because in the end, it's just business. Mm, that's hmm. good analysis. I like that. Yeah. Uh, brings it all together. Kind of feel dumb for not seeing it myself. <laughs> Thanks there, Adam. Uh, also, wouldn't it be interesting if the woman that Ted is seeing was Diane, the waitress? <laughs> Whoa. That'd be pretty mind-blowing, yeah. I mean, 
It fits. There's nothing in her description that is inconsistent with that being Diane, and that would be mind blowing. It would be be dark, dark for Ted too, because he has no oh, idea. God. Uh, I still think the other thing is. I mean, if I want to be three, if I want to be one hundred, hundred and honest, it, it would make Diane retrospectively less self aware because her shacking up with Ted. Uh, and not doing it with Don because she obviously recognizes she's damaged, not ready for something. That would be weird for me. Hmm. Or maybe she just doesn't want yeah, to start I, over with Don because he's as broken as she is. This is like a 500 days of summer situation. Are we assuming that whoever Ted met happened within the last month the, I, between episodes? I, I don't know that you can assume that. No. I mean, we know that he was pounding cocktail waitress tail, uh, as just, little as three episodes ago. Yeah. And looking forward to that, and now he's like super serial about this woman. Hmm. So I don't, I don't know. Okay, yeah, I, I don't know. But dudes Di- on the show Diana's do a that. Pretty broken character. Like I'm, I as much as I like Roger or Richard, and as much as I like Joan, like I'm yeah. vaguely horrified by how fastly they moved. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you have sex with one one night, and you're ready to uproot your life a week later. Like, cool, cool, jet. I get this is Joan. Yeah, no, I understand it's... this is Christina Hendricks we're talking about, but goddamn, you're Christopher Pike. <laughs> you're JFK. This, this, you know. I'm assuming you've you've had experience with women before, and you know that there's. Yeah. Anyway. All right. I still think that the girl who Sally's friend was flirting with Don in the last episode is going to try to seduce Don. I. That's not interesting to me. It'll be only interesting if Don takes her up on it, and that would just make me sick. It'd be interesting, but it'd be super gross. When does she turn eighteen? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, people. I'll get a countdown on the internet for it. There you go. Let's maximize the creepiness. Drew <laughs> uh, McBee said, Well, Aaron, with only three episodes left and a complete lack of Don and Peggy interaction, this half of the season to us fellow, Don and Peggy shippers have to bury our hopes. Are they seriously setting up for Diane to come back and be the woman Don ends up with if he ends up with anyone at all? Ugh. How lackluster will it be if Don ends up with Diane? Terrible. It would be completely lackluster. That's the one way they could end this where I would not be happy. Yeah. I would be... I mean, again, I'd say that, but then again, I can also squint and see how maybe they could pull that off. But it does look like uh, the, the Peggy Peggy Don ship is sailing. And if yeah. it's into the Stan Harbors, I'm not. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Me too. And, I, you know, I, I get... I, I made jokes about the Gilmore Girls and all that. I... I always thought it'd be nice to see Don and Peggy together because I think they're an interesting pairing and they really get each other. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I'm I don't need to see anyone matched up with anybody. It's all about where the characters are at the end, not who they're with. Yeah, so, and I think Stan and Peggy also get each other. Sometimes I get a little shallow with that analysis because you know I open my mouth and say things without thinking them through. But uh, yeah. Tommy G, when the mechanic executives list of big clients they will get to work with, he mentions Buick. Wasn't Bob Benson promised a job there after he helped out the GM exec who was arrested? The Benson watch is back, baby. Do you think we'll get to see Bob Benson at Buick? Yeah, weren't... Were they planning on moving something in-house there? Was Bob taking over the No, division? no, he was deaf. I don't remember exactly the title and everything, but yes, there was a Buick in the offering, and he wanted to move, join the Detroit. Oh, I know and that, had a big yeah. mansion, and 
et cetera, et cetera. I just, what is, what is McCann's relationship with them at this point? Are they still, I guess they're still doing advertising for Clearly, him. Clearly if they're offering Buick on a yeah. silver platter. I, hmm. I just, okay, I don't, I don't remember that episode well enough. I would love to see more Bob Benson. Tell I like you. Bob Benson. Yeah. I don't need Bob Benson. Nope. Maybe the mentioning of Buick is enough that, that this is kind of like a, a wink at us as the audience. I don't know, but I'm, I'm pro Bob. Sure. All right. I'm pro Bob Bodic. Uh, Sonia D said, want to know your opinion about Trudy saying you don't have to, you don't take no for an answer. She's all smiles and quite impressed, but I couldn't help to think how horrible that line sounds when you know how rapey Pete is mm-hmm. when he hears that word thoughts. Was it a wink? Is it the episode telling us that he can still be charming and show empathy towards Peggy, but let's not forget his true nature. Yeah. I like that take all the above. <laughs> I like that take. And that's the danger about getting involved in any of these people uncritically is that they are all, they've all done heinous crimes. Essentially, I know that their crimes are worse than the things that a lot of normal people do, especially Pete. Pete's yeah. done. Pete's done some pretty nasty things. Can we just say that these are all human? Pete, sure. These are all humans. Like they make mistakes. They have their flaws. They at times are knights in shining armor and fantastic people. But sometimes we stretch that it's, to its limits. Like look at Jamie fucking Lannister. Uh-huh. No one. No one should be rooting for this guy, but we all mm-hmm. do because we're so easily manipulated by lights and sound. You know? Well, it's... it's like, yeah, Pete the raped a woman. Arguably, he, he raped more than one woman, and he would have raped another one if he got... If, if, if Dreamy Dreamboat Jock hadn't showed up. Uh-huh. But he's also super entertaining when he's screaming about the king's orders and punching people in the face and getting punched in the face. It's okay. We can... You know, that's fine. Yeah, I don't feel bad about enjoying watching Pete Campbell. I don't Good, feel okay. bad. I don't feel bad about that at all. Uh, Very brave. I I don't I don't know that I would say yes. He's done some fucked up, horrible things. But uh-huh. I, I guess the question I'm asking is he irredeemable in your eyes? I I would say no. But but man, that's a tough no. That is a really hard no to say. No man, it's a it's weird going into this modern age because I'm cert I'm certain that I've had close friends and family members rape a girl by mm-hmm. my look by the way I look at it. But if you go back to the '60s, '70s, and '80s, I mean, look at some of the movies in the era. They're making jokes about roofing girls, and it's seen as like yeah. a naughty boy type of behavior. Um, so I don't know. It's one of those things, like the same thing, like the wanton. It, it, you got to look at that stuff kind of like the way you look at Don throwing a beer can in a creek. Like okay. he doesn't see that as despoiling the environment. He sees that as like, yeah, it's just you know what. Look how big this planet is, and look how small this can is. I'm not thinking about it. And a lot, you know, you you have much more of. We talk about this on the Game of Thrones podcast. The banality of evil. You have much more unthinking, callous than you do active malice in the world. And that do. goes down do. to uh, issues of gender and equality and and all of that. Because I don't. Yeah, you know, I'm an optimist. I believe in the good of everyone. Okay, but a lot most people are also ignorant as hell, so That's they don't true. know how I, to apply the goodness in their hearts. I don't think that they should necessarily get a pass for all that just because they're ignorant of it. Sure. Um. I. Yeah. It's it's tough. To, it's it's really hard to where. Cause but where what I want to see, what I want to see to say that Pete Campbell has been redeemed in any significant way. 
is signs that he has actually changed and that he understands the problem. Yeah. Uh, once once those problems are brought to your attention, if you don't act on changing those things about yourself, yeah, I think that is what makes you the bad person versus just um, someone who's done some things that are wrong. Sure. Uh, so if Pete Campbell shows me that he honestly regrets what he's done and is making effort toward changing it, I might be okay with saying he was redeemed in the end. But I don't see that yet, and we're a few episodes away. I see him, you know, going out and helping his daughter out with something, but that's not even nearly enough. I know, but it's like the same thing. I mean, thing. he's got to like, go. I mean, he's got to go door to door knocking and telling people, "I'm sorry." Like, right? There has to be some grand gestures here to forgive Pete for the things he's done. No, but like, I'm again assuming I'm talking to an uncle and he's talking about how you know he's talking about a college hookup, and I'm making all this up. Some drunk girl they hooked up with, and I'm like, dude, uh, uncle, you you raped that girl. I mean, what do I, what would you say? Go forth and rape no more. I mean, I I don't know if, if he's like, ah, come on, it, it wasn't rape. But that's the thing. Drunk. That is what he would do. That's what everyone does when they're confronted with the fact that they've done something horrible and unknowingly. Absolutely, you always act defensively. Absolutely, that's where it goes from ignorance to knowingly doing something wrong. Yeah, and. Like, that's an indefensible position. But that's the thing. I don't know how to change it, but, like, there's no gentle way to raise people's awareness of the fact that they've been doing something bad for a long, long time, you know? Sure. Like You have to be hit in the face with it. That's weird. That That's the weird thing about it, that you can't just be like, hey, um, just wanted to let you know that this is something you did that was hurtful or wrong. Like, everyone's reaction is to be like that, and I'm no different. Like It's almost like you have to have something bad happen to you that puts it in perspective. Right. Um, a similar bad thing happened right. to you. Like, that's the thing. Like, I grew up in a super white bread, small Indiana uh, country, uh, rural community. Sure, Tom Petty sang about you, yes. I never felt like I was racist, but I'm sure I had racist views. And I absolutely had homophobic views sure. up until quite recently. Yeah, well, you've raised in a church that feels that way. That's what I'm saying, but I don't. I never felt like hatred in my heart, and I, yeah. I think like I wish there was a way that you could talk about these issues without triggering the natural self defense that protects yeah. you from feeling like an asshole all the time. Because every one of it, everyone who listen to this podcast on on six hundred dollars smartphones that are made by people for pennies in China, we're all assholes. We're all contributing to human misery in the world. But if you if you let all that in, you couldn't function as a human being. <laughs> You'd collapse under the weight of all the misery your life is built on. So you you put a fine point on why I really like that scene with Stan and Peggy. Yes. Because Stan is willing to step back and acknowledge it. Yes. And go, you're right. You're absolutely right. Where do we go from here? But that's the weird thing. It's on the it's on the person being attacked it it's yeah. like anytime you have a breakup it's the person being broken up with that has to be the big person right sure so it's like any you're confronting yeah. someone and i realize that's weird that <laughs> the man is not the center of the tragedy here it's peggy uh-huh. but it's kind of up to him whether he 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 is goes against his inner asshole he goes against the self-defensive mechanism i you know I don't know. I feel like I'm just yeah. I'm I'm we, I'm reaching here. We've probably gone too far down this rabbit hole, but I yeah. I think 
uh, yeah, it's a, there is a lot to think about. I'm just saying that <laughs> if you're on the side or you've been trodden on by society, mm-hmm. try to think at it from the oppressor's point of view and maybe if they even have a point of view. And if you're unwittingly on the other side and someone's trying to bring, bring that to your attention, listen to them. It doesn't cost you anything. And essentially just be nicer to everybody. Let's not, you know, that's that's all we, we want to do, right? Sure. Let's move on. Um. Let's see. Lisa LL is double dipping on us. She said, want to comment on the glorious last scene of time in life where Don says, this is the beginning of something, not the end. And everyone grumbles and walks away. Most of the recaps I read connected Don's statement to Dr. Faye saying Don only likes the beginning of things. But in this first episode of season 7A, Freddie Rumson starts the Accutron pitch to Peggy with, are you ready? Because I want you to pay attention. This is the beginning of something. Which, of course, are Don's words. Weiner is hitting us over the head with something. What is Don's beginning? He's starting over, yeah, but the beginning is more hopeful than starting over. Also, this episode is packed with life-affirming bromides. I I don't know how you pronounce that word. Shit. I think that's right. Bromides? Yeah. All right. And the rare English weird word that's pronounced exactly how it's spelled. That's right. I've heard that word. I don't know what it means. Um, It's kind of like a a saying or a phrase or an affirmation. Turn of phrase, whatever. I just missed. There's another word that I mispronounced. <laughs> uh, I hope you're keeping score at home. Mm-hmm. I hope you haven't run out of paper. They're marking it on their walls now. <laughs> They've run out of paper a long time ago. Roger telling Don, you are okay. Pete saying what's supposed to happen will happen. Someone else saying everything will be fine. Again, a lot of lip service to hope uh, to hope in a pretty bleak circumstance. Definitely the best season or episode of season 7B. You are ageless. I'm assuming she's talking to Mad Men and not myself. I think so, yeah. I feel like I'm aging as I'm sitting here. Um, yeah, Trudy's ageless. It's going to be fun one of these days to go through all the bald move videos and just watch me age in real time. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be weird. I'm not Dick We'll Clark. do a time lapse. <laughs> uh, you could do that with my beard last year. You could. That'd you be a pretty sweet could, video. I, we need. We should do like that. Like one second per Get it all synchronized episode. with my nose so you could actually see it grow in real time. That'd be sweet. <laughs> I'm like the human chia pet. <laughs> Sonia J. We got a, they got competing Sonias in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, just wanted to share my prediction that Don is going to leave advertising altogether rather to move over to McCain and Erickson offices and that this is all foreshadowed in season one. As evidence, she cites in season one, episode nine, Jim Hobart, the same guy from McCann Erickson, is trying to court Don. When Don explains to Roger why he chose not to leave Sterling Coo, they have this exchange. Roger, I'm not going to be the little girl and ask you why you stayed. I know it's not the money. I hope it's not to keep your foot on Pete Campbell. Don, I like the way you do business. Roger, well, I try to be as civilized as you can be. Don, no contract. Roger, 45 and no security. Hmm, what's in it for me? Don says, if I leave this place one day, it will not be for more advertising. Roger asks, what else is there? Don says, I don't know. Life being lived? I'd like to stop talking about it and get back to it. Roger, I've worked with a lot of men like you, and if you choose a place, if you had to choose a place to die, it would be in the middle of a pitch. Don says, "I've done that. I want to be something else." Hmm. Now he still hasn't found it. And one thing I want to say to Sonia is that the big difference here is he is now has a contract, whereas he the does. That's really true. cool thing about early early seasons. Don is he didn't have a contract, and that was used to hilarious effect with the Duck Phillips of the world. Uh huh. So that's already a big change, but yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see him get completely out of advertising and what that would look like, a truly new beginning. I think so, and he's got the money to do it. He doesn't need to stick around for this money. 
We'll see if Coca-Cola is a big enough thing for him, but I don't know. A uh, friend of the show, Daniel, had a thought during this episode that came to him during Don's plan move to California. Is Don under crisis when Don is at his best? And furthermore, is Don at rest when Don is at his worst? And finally, if someone is to fall off the building, I really hope it's Meredith. <laughs> I don't know, Daniel. That uh, I think Meredith, and there was a debate on this with Seppenwall. Is she potentially his best secretary ever? Uh, only married one of them. It didn't turn out well, but <laughs> that's not the blue prize for secretarymanship. Come on. I mean, you, you saw something good in her. She mopped up uh, a milkshake yeah, I, with that flipping out. That's why Don I, married her. I think, I think maybe so. That's what I'm thinking too, man. I mean, she's, you know, a little ditzy and uh, a little aloof, but. You know, no, she gets her job done. It was a little bizarre, but I think that's what she thought Don needed. Uh-huh. Yeah, and she, I like, I gotta say, I like the way she stood up to him this this episode mm-hmm. as well. And stood up for her rights as a as, and feelings as a human being. I enjoy Meredith a lot. Yeah, I like Meredith. She's fun to watch, for one thing. She's hilarious. Uh, she's, a, I mean, I, like I said, I, and she seems to be good at her job. I don't know. Dawn was a pretty good secretary. Dawn was a pretty damn yeah, right. good secretary. Dawn, Dawn and was she, a really good secretary. She went well. above and beyond. And she didn't misunderstand gas station for space station either. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, she she also went above and beyond helping him out even when he was, you know, not officially working at the company. So you got in the running. I feel like Dawn is the best secretary. Yeah. Uh, Meredith is a damn close second, but she needs to take his phone calls and bring him groceries or something. I don't know. And you can make an argument. Wasn't Peggy also his secretary? Because the thing is, is like oh, Don wow. and Peggy were Ages so ago. good that they rose above that rank. Don Clotterway in office management, Peggy mm-hmm. as copy editor. Meredith is a sec. I mean, that's the thing. Like, so do you judge a secretary based on just their pure secretarianship, uh, or do you say like climbers that have that that reach that place on their way to further greatness? Do you throw them in the secretary pool? I almost feel like it's like cheating. I mean, I, I think I throw them in the secretary pool during their time as secretary. Hmm. Um, but I don't give them extra points because they're climbers. Okay. Uh, so I, I definitely give Dawn the nod. I think the way she went above and beyond helped him out when he was down and out. Hmm. Um, she always seemed on ball. She was way, way smarter than Meredith is. Hmm. Uh, not Not that Meredith is a slouch, but... I like Don. Yeah. Fascinating discussion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have we have mined every bit of juice on this episode, although I know I'll get at least a dozen emails I want to read for next week. So yeah. that's the breaks of the show. Uh, if you'd like to uh, try to worm your way into those ranks, you can do so at madmen at baldmove.com. Uh, you can also discuss this on our forums at forums.baldmove.com. And you can follow our release schedule at facebook.com slash baldmove and over at Twitter at baldmove. Three episodes to go, man, and that's it. No more Mad Men. Hard to believe. We lost a couple of shows this year. Yeah. That were on my top list. So, yeah. hmm. But, you All know, right. make room for new stuff in the future. Sure. I like the beginnings of things, not the end. Had to, You had to say goodbye to Breaking Bad so you could say hello to Better Call Saul. Indeed. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week uh, on Tuesday. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya. Mm-hmm.